from the Mercy One Studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Menno is in session. And good Thursday morning from the Mercy One Studios in West Des Moines, Iowa. I'm Deacon Mike Mano in studio, and joining me is my co-host, Gina No from an undisclosed location safe from the coronavirus. Gina, how are you this morning? In the bunker. In I'm the doing bunker. well. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, have an interesting show for us today. We're going to talk with uh, Tom Brecka, president of the Thomas More Society, on the David Delighton baby selling parts case. And then a little bit later, we're going to talk to Alex Schottenberg, Director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition on updates on the uh, physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia. Um, so we've got a pretty good show set up for us today. Gina, how have you been doing in your undisclosed location uh, or the bunker or whatever? Yeah, well, I think we're, we're almost at 15 days, so I think we are um, ha- didn't pick up anything on our travels uh, two weeks ago. So okay. that's a very good sign. Um, we've been um, praying. For all those affected negatively by this uh, virus, so um, it's nice to have the extra time with our Lord. That's a gift, honestly. You know, I find a lot of people who are are suggesting that you know this time, as far as our prayer life and our relationship with God, uh, somehow it gets to be a little bit seems to be a little bit hollow because we don't have that physical connection with the sacraments and the mass and and church. Uh, and all of that. Um, are, are you finding any of that in, in with your family? Well, I have to say that it, there's a void on Sunday for certain. Yeah. Um, that's difficult for us to um, feel that connection that we normally have. Sunday was our day with our community, and I, I'm, it's uh, a grief process to be able to miss them on that day. Um, but I, I feel like the weekdays for me are a lot more fulfilled. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Isa Online Masses and Divine Mercy Chaplets and even the um, video adoration is, um, I, I'm, I'm liking it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Luann and I still do our Tuesday night adoration over to St. Augustine, and uh, we've noticed that there seems to be some different people coming in. You know, normally you'd go there, uh, I guess we're Tuesday night, and it kind of be the same crowd that would come in, uh, same few people. Uh, but the faces are a little bit different now, and I'm wondering if part of that is because uh, uh, people need to reach out and feel that connection again with Christ and with the Church. I imagine it certainly is, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wrote somewhere where you know, being excused from the Sunday obligation to attend Mass uh, for a lot of people it kind of throws them off balance because they never really saw Sunday Mass as an obligation. They saw it as something positive to do. And without that Mass now, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of fumbling around. You know, yeah. they feel lost. Exactly. I, um, on another note, I have noticed that you've picked up a new skill Oh, on my video stuff? The coronavirus, yes. Yeah, I'm trying to do something to promote the program, uh, and I put it on our Faith on Trial uh, Facebook page, and I put it on our blog, our Faith on Trial Radio blog. 
and um, I'm I'm still fumbling around with it. <laughs> well, and and if anybody wants to tune in and they can look at it and see why I'm on radio and not television. No, you do a wonderful job. I love that you wear your collar when you're um, talking about all of the opportunities to learn more on our show on on Thursdays um, with your. Facebook video. So yeah, well, I job. don't get to wear the collar that much anymore because <laughs> I'm banned from the hospitals. I can't can't go to the hospitals, can't go to the nursing homes. Uh, we're, we're starting to try and do something about calling uh, people uh, in the parish uh, who, you know, just may want to chat with somebody, maybe somebody to say a prayer with them. So I talked to somebody about that yesterday, and I think we're going to be working on that. Uh, and again, uh, mentioning the uh, uh, Eucharistic Adoration, I should mention that St. Augustine's, the, the uh, Adoration Chapel is still open, and it's open 24 hours. So if you're feeling that need or feeling a little bit of that uh, emptiness because we can't approach the sacraments and the Mass like we used to, uh, maybe you ought to stop by uh, for an hour or so. It doesn't even have to stay an hour. Just come in and say a few prayers and, and uh, say hello to your Lord. And... Uh, and then go on your way. That'll help fill you. But it's a good place to go and say the rosary, which uh, we kind of need these days. We definitely are, Mother. I, tell me, Mike, um, you probably know better than me. How are they, how is the church handling cleaning, keeping it safe for uh, those who clean, are in adoration? Yeah, they're cleaning the adoration chapel, I think, twice a day. They're going out and doing that. And, of course, now the church is, I don't want to say it's in lockdown, but uh, there's no meetings at all now. Nothing is going on over there, and they're doing a cleaning of the church. Uh, so they're getting ready for the time when we can come back. Uh, it was, uh, we were allowing certain meetings there. I know the men's face-sharing group was meeting on Monday nights, but uh, that's no longer allowed. It's all the meetings and everything are out of the church. So um, our our continued isolation, I guess, is, is going to continue even deeper for a little bit. But hopefully it'll all be worthwhile uh, when this is over and people can get back to their regular activities. Wonderful. Yeah. I miss the bars being closed, you know. I <laughs> Now you're teasing. Going and watching the sports and, yeah, <laughs> sitting there with a good confluence beer and watching the sports. But well, none of that is no, on now. No yeah. sports and no no um, establishments available No establishments available. So so Playtime with the cat. I, I, I get to get out once in a while and go buy groceries. I and, do enjoy some of those videos where the, uh, the out-of-work sports sportscasters are... Um, uh, uh, giving a broadcast about the, their pets doing things and the people in their house doing things. It's, it's enjoyable. Yeah, well, and of course, I got a goofy cat. His name, or her name is Gilligan, and she's just like the Gilligan on the TV program. She's just a klutz. But anyway, we love her, and, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep her Spend around more for time a while. With her. All right, we're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we will have with us Tom Brecca, who's president of the Thomas More Society on the David Delighton B. Parts scandal. Impoverished children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities, and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www.blessmaninternational.org and make your donation today. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know 
Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Nearly 64% of all abortions in Iowa are chemical or more commonly known, the abortion pill. At Intervisions Healthcare, we do not provide the abortion pill, but we do provide the medical information required to make an informed decision. If a woman regrets taking the first pill, she can come to Intervisions to help reverse the effects. Our nursing staff is trained in the abortion pill reversal protocol, a relatively new medical procedure, but we need your help in getting the word out. For more information on the free medical services at Intervisions Healthcare or to support the mission, visit IVHcare.org. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at BigRedQ-DesMoines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. And we're back. I'm Deacon Mike Mano. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're being joined right now by Tom Abreka, who is the president of the Thomas More Society. And we're going to talk about the uh, David Delighton and the Planned Parenthood baby parts scandal. Tom, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, uh, Deacon. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm just fine, too. I'm glad that you're with us today. And Gina Knoll, my co-host, is with us, too, on a phone line. So she will be joining us, too. Good morning, um, Mr. Brecka. Yes, good morning, Gina. But we're um, we're we're trying to maintain that per, that perfect social distance. So we have <laughs> well, Gina tied up in a cave somewhere, and uh, <laughs> with a well, I'm in, uh, in my library at home, so uh, <laughs> sitting in front of my computer. We're that's uh, a safe... hard at work uh, while socially distancing from a lot of folks. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, well, that's our. I don't mind social distancing. I I don't like people anyway, so <laughs> staying away from them is fine with me. Well, I hope it doesn't set a terrible precedent. I don't. I don't. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, I, we're 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 learning to live uh, um, simply, I guess. I, we're, we're trying we're, to do it in a Christian way, I guess. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Trying to do it. A, lot, yes. a, a good time to say the rosary. You yes, sit, indeed. Sit in your office, say the rosary, or your uh, morning prayers, or whatever. All right, I want to talk about. Um, 
the David Delighton uh, Planned Parenthood baby part scandal, and just to bring everybody up to date, uh, which we aren't, but the background is that David Delighton was a, an independent journalist. Is that what we call him? That, uh, well, a citizen journalist. Citizen. He's certainly independent. Yeah. Uh, at the time that he did his undercover work, my goodness, he was a young fellow of, he's 30 now, so that was five, six years ago, so a very young a gifted fellow. There's no question about that. And he um, he exposed this um, body parts scandal where Planned Parenthood, uh, or at least some of their affiliates, were selling the uh, uh, baby parts that came from aborted babies. And for that, he got himself into a lot of trouble. And I know the Thomas More Society has been uh, defending him, or one of the chief defenders of him, uh, providing uh, legal representation. So why don't you bring us up to date what the latest is in the uh, in the, the Leiden case? Well, uh, Deacon, uh, let me tell you, there's so much going on. It's uh, to be succinct is difficult. There are probably, let's see, we have a case, two cases, civil cases in uh, San Francisco, uh, in federal court there, uh, in front of a judge who is very inhospitable, to put it mildly, to our advocacy. We just had a uh, a jury trial uh, and it culminated in a verdict uh, November 15th that was $2.3 million. Against you know, uh, obvious overreaching, uh, and uh, the, the judge pretty much directed that verdict. His instructions were so unfavorable. Now, to as, the I, defense, as uh, I recall, not only David, the, but his helpers. Uh, and as I recall, at the beginning of the case, uh, because that was the case where I guess Planned Parenthood was suing him. Yes. Well, it was started out with a trade group, National Abortion Federation, filed suit in July 2015. Okay. Uh, Planned Parenthood, the national group, plus a bunch of affiliates up and down the state of California, which is an abortion-intensive uh, state, uh, 10 or 11 affiliates, uh, they sued in January 2016. So on the civil side alone, we've been extremely busy defending yeah. both cases in front of the same uh, judge. Who is now, as I, as I recall, at the very beginning of these cases, uh, there was a motion to recuse the judge who was involved because of his uh, outward biases. I guess, didn't he have some connection or his wife or somebody with the abortion industry? Well, both himself and... and uh, you know, his his wife had a website where she was pictured along with uh, the judge as, as smiling, and she was quoted. It was her her website, not his, but uh, he certainly was, uh, you know, grinning uh, <laughs> on the face of it, uh, talking about the Texas criminal prosecution of Delighton and his helper Sandra Merritt. Uh, saying it was uh, these people were uh, lawbreakers. What they did was terrible. I'm paraphrasing, but it was very extreme disapproval and condemnation of our clients. Of course, this was not disclosed to us. Uh, we found out about it later. Uh, and apart from that, and worse, the judge himself was lawyer uh, and a principal for San, uh, San Francisco charity called the Good Samaritan. Uh, house which uh, gave a plan par- a free rent free lease and loaning of staff uh, without charge to one of the very Planned Parenthood affiliates who is now suing Delighton in front of the judge in his own courtroom. 
I, you know, as as a principal and as the lawyer who handled that joint venture, whatever you want to call it, obviously he was uh, very closely involved in setting up security procedures and so forth for Planned Parenthood, privy to their inner workings, and those are matters before the court. So, yes, we thought this should have been disclosed. We thought the judge should step aside. Very unusual tactical move uh, to ask that a judge uh, before whom your client is uh, at risk uh, ask that he step aside for bias. He he didn't comment on the allegations, uh, uh, didn't uh, verify or dispute them, uh, kicked it over to another judge who said we were blaming him for his wife's uh, statements, which wasn't true. And we haven't yet got a ruling on appeals. So that, that issue is still hanging fire, along with so many others. Well, that, that went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, um, which was notoriously liberal. Uh, but that has changed. The composition of that court has changed in the last three years. Well, it's changed uh, markedly. We uh, prevailed. Uh, we were a friend of the court uh, in support of uh, the uh, Title X defunding of Planned Parenthood, and the Ninth Circuit uh, uh, listened to our arguments as well as the arguments of the Department of Justice, and uh, uh, the defunding was... Uh, was approved and and when they asked for a rehearing before all the judges in active service uh it was uh they stuck to their guns uh, the 60 million dollars is gone from planned parenthood's coffers uh, they may pursue a supreme court appeal we'll see yeah good luck with that i think and i just see here where yesterday the ninth circuit uh i guess issued a ruling reversing part of a district court ruling uh, that concealed identifying information on public documents relating to the University of, Wish- of Washington's purchase, processing, and sale of organs and tissues from aborted human fetuses. Well, uh, that's another one of our uh, abortion delight related cases, uh, uh, Deacon Mike. We, we've been fighting that case, too, for about, what, four years. Delighton mm-hmm. filed a public records request uh, these are sunshine laws where official documents should be made available for the people to see, especially in this case because this is taxpayer-funded, uh, a so-called research laboratory at the University of Washington, which is a clearinghouse for baby body parts uh, from aborted babies, and they ship them all over the country to university researchers. And, of course, you know, that the value of that research is controversial. It's disputed. Most of the actual advances uh, scientifically have come from adult stem cell uh, research. Uh, we think there is a huge amount of taxpayer money is supporting uh, all these transactions. So we so we 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 were sued. Uh, they went in to try and suppress the request, and uh, they were successful again at the trial court, and we won on appeal. Uh, and uh, the judge on appeal said, uh, the three-judge panel, uh, be more specific about what uh, rights you have to suppress this public information. And uh, uh, the judge re- reaffirmed his prior suppression, but uh, on appeal again, uh, we got relief. Uh, and they substantially narrowed the claim to confidentiality. They're claiming that, you know, if if even... Without identifying the people involved, uh, just the transactional data, 
they think should be kept uh, secret from the people. Well, the people are paying for this, and the Sunshine Law ought to be enforced. So, yes, we had a major win there, and uh, whenever we do have a win, we're very pleased because this is this is difficult uh, sledding. And yeah, well, you, and you're out there almost what we call enemy territory on the West Coast there where... Um, uh, well, yes, sir. Everybody's so liberal out there. At least the judges are so liberal. Fortunately, the the Ninth Circuit, anyway, is changing. Let's go back to David. What's the situation, the legal situation that he's in right now? Well, the the criminal case we haven't talked about. He was charged by the Attorney General of California, it, uh, a case initiated by Kamala Harris, who uh, was elected as their junior senator, and of course was a uh, candidate for the Democratic nomination until she withdrew, but Failed her candidate. successor followed through with what uh, she had begun and filed 15 felony charges against David and his helper Sandra Merritt. And uh, we had a preliminary hearing in September that went on for three, four weeks, and uh, the judge uh, uh, dismissed uh, five of the 15, uh, and uh, but said the rest of them ought to go to jury trial. Well. You know, these are multiple felonies, and so if we lose, if the jury trial goes forward, we're trying to uh, ask another judge to reconsider it. Uh, but if it does go forward, why David and Sandra are at risk for uh, as much as 10 years in the California penitentiary at San Quentin or one of these other notorious spots. Uh, the charge there is uh, illegal eavesdropping under the California anti-eavesdropping law, we have pretty good defenses. Uh, we think these charges should have been nipped in the bud. Now, is this the same judge that presided over the uh, civil trial? No, uh, this is a different judge. This is state court. This is, oh, this uh, is a state court. Okay. felony <clears throat> court, Judge Christopher Height. Uh, I think he's a little bit more fair-minded than uh, the federal judge, but on the other hand, uh, here he is. He's ordered that these... Uh, Nine, and now they're trying to add another felony charge, a new one. They think that's time-barred by the statute of limitations, but uh, that hasn't been determined yet. So there's ten felony charges hanging fire that may end up going to jury trial. So you're up to your neck in legal activity, well, Danny that, David Leiden. Yes, up to our neck is, is the truth. Uh, that's what, three civil cases, one of which that Seattle case is purports to be a class action, mm -hmm. and, uh, of course, uh, multiple felony charges uh, in the criminal case, uh, also in San Francisco, of course, not a favorable venue. Right. Uh, we we did have a Los Angeles civil case that we got rid of. Uh, we got rid of another criminal case uh, filed early in 2016 in Houston, and uh, so... We've got rid of two of them, but we've got uh, miles to go. Miles to go. Gina, do you have anything? Well, and on top of that, I'd like to mention he's had um, multiple congressional and state investigations that he's had to defend himself at. Well, actually, thank you, Gina, for bringing that up because sure. that was one of his, uh, I think, spectacular achievements. Uh, David's, this, we were subpoenaed with all his records, even after the federal court, the unfriendly judge, had put a total gag order, but he felt that we had we were allowed to obey the congressional subpoena for both the state, or excuse me, uh, the House uh, Investigative Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee. They 
conducted uh, over a year uh, each uh, detailed investigations of what David had uh, found. And both uh, those congressional committees made multiple referrals to the FBI, the Department of Justice, for criminal investigations of Planned Parenthood. Now, that was, uh, you know, uh, a couple years ago, uh, and we have yet to hear uh, the results of those investigations, except that the uh, uh, senator and the House investigator uh, chairman both wrote to them and asked what's the status, and they were told the investigations are ongoing. So they're still ongoing. And who knows when the shoe may drop? I, I, you know. yeah, this this is going to be a, a multifaceted legal case that uh, I suppose 10 years later, when we look back at this, it'll make good fodder for a law school review. Well, <laughs> a lot of teaching points in there, I think. Well, teaching points and cultural landmarks, yeah. I, I would uh, venture to say. You know, the evidence in this criminal hearing we had uh, included evidence on the witness stand from uh, folks in the know that there is not only abortion uh, going on, yielding body parts transactions, but there's infanticide. Uh, Some of these uh, abortion procedures, in the effort to get enhanced specimens, uh, pristine or whole body specimens, uh, there are a lot of live births. Uh, You know, when you consider the thousands of abortion procedures committed up and down the state of California, not to mention nationally, uh, when there's an effort to get uh, uh, specimens, uh, body parts, uh, for research uh, for which money is paid, uh, they say it's covering costs, but we know that's not the case because Mm -hmm. the costs are minimal. uh, And uh, the amounts uh, exchanged uh, are often very substantial. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of live births. Uh, uh, I would imagine the, it's a, a premium to have a full-term, um, full-body fetus uh, to sell. Is, isn't it amazing to mix commercial metaphors <laughs> yeah. on terms when we're talking about uh, babies' birthdays? It's just a, a horror. Uh, people are in denial. Uh, the major media, so-called, is ignoring this evidence. Uh, Planned Parenthood uh, is distorting news reports and inhibiting uh, major media, so-called, uh, from telling the story of what came out in court. If there is a jury trial, I, I think it's inescapable that people will have to come to terms with some of this evidence. Well. Yeah. Well, and we're going to have to leave it there right now because we're out of time. Uh, but this is a, a, a big mess, and it's something that we're going to be watching, and we'll have you back uh, to follow up on this uh, later, how it goes. We want to thank you for being here with us today. Well, thank you, Deacon Mike you. And, and Gina, and uh, appreciate it very much. Certainly. Thomas Becca, president of the Thomas More Society. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know... 
Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Nearly 64% of all abortions in Iowa are chemical, or more commonly known, the abortion pill. At Intervisions Healthcare, we do not provide the abortion pill, but we do provide the medical information required to make an informed decision. If a woman regrets taking the first pill, she can come to Intervisions to help reverse the effects. Our nursing staff is trained in the abortion pill reversal protocol, a relatively new medical procedure, but we need your help in getting the word out. For more information on the free medical services at Intervisions Healthcare or to support the mission, visit IVHcare.org. What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO, and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We have a cold front moving across our area today. That'll bring rain and gusty wind through the afternoon. We'll be in the low 60s, wind up to 25 miles an hour. Showers and thunderstorms this evening, rain showers overnight and upper 30s. Rain off and on through the day tomorrow and our temperature dropping to 35 by early afternoon. Weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. This is Deacon Mike Mano with Iowa, Iowa Catholic Radio with Faith on Trial. And um, our guest now is Alex Schottenberg, who's Executive Director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. And good morning, Alex. Good morning. It's great to be with you. And uh, my co-host, Gina, who is at an undisclosed location because of the virus, is, going, is, is with us by phone, too. So she's going to be chiming in. And first thing before we go too far into this interview, happy birthday, my friend. Thank you very much. Yes, 52 years old. I've survived this long. I hope to keep surviving for a while. <laughs> well, you're just a kid from my viewpoint. <laughs> there we go, yeah. yes. All right, I'm we... happily also a grandfather, so life is good. Well, oh, very... welcome, Alex. Well, very good, very good. We hope uh, that uh, the coronavirus stays away from you and your family. And, oh, yeah, uh, I hope so, yeah. And you have another 52 years in fighting for life here. 
there we go. You're also involved with the with the Knights of Columbus up there, aren't you, in the pro-life uh, section? Yes, I'm very involved with the Knights of Columbus in Ontario. I'm the uh, life director for for the state of Ontario. And the state of Ontario, you may or may not realize, is a huge jurisdiction in the Knights of Columbus. We have about 600 councils. So it's a, it's a major undertaking to be involved at that level. Well, and thank you for your work in, in that behalf, too. And uh, God bless you for that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, euthanasia and uh, uh, physician-assisted suicide. Uh, as we are talking the other day, uh, there's been kind of a morphing of this concept of... Um, physician-assisted suicide to get to the point where instead of just getting a pill or a bottle of pills in the mail that you uh, use uh, on yourself, you now actually have the doctor who is injecting you with the death-dealing drug. And a lot of these people that are, are being injected don't even know what's going on. They're comatose or something like that. So you want to bring us up to date with what's, what's the latest in this area? Well, let's first define everything. So assisted suicide is now legal in uh, nine states in the U.S. So assisted suicide, what it means is that the doctor uh, prescribes the lethal drugs that the person will technically take themselves. Now, what's been happening is is that, and, and so let's go to then euthanasia. Euthanasia would then be uh, different from it, even though it's very similar. The same lethal drugs are used, but they're injected. So euthanasia is a form of homicide, meaning somebody lethally injects you, which is murder, and assisted suicide is assisting a suicide because someone technically causes their own death with the help of the physician. Now, what's happening is the assisted suicide lobby in the U.S. has been changing the language in their bills. Now, for your information, as of this moment, none of, none of these new bills have gone through the legislature this year because, uh, well, we were fortunate, like, uh, most states have been defeating these bills constantly anyway, uh, but uh, this year uh, the sad, horrific reality of the uh, coronavirus also caused legislatures across the U.S. and Canada to shut down, which meant that legislation such as assisted suicide bills were also uh, then put on hold because uh, there's no legislature to discuss it or to pass it. So there were several states that we had great concerns about this year where bills uh, you know, grave is great concern, and possibly they might have gone through. And, of course, that's not happening because of the fact that all these legislative services are shut down. So what's happening is the language of these bills have changed over time, and the language uh, of uh, the current laws are also being, in, uh, try- they're trying to reinterpret them. So the whole issue of assisted suicide, when you read the bill, they've changed the language, so some of these bills would technically allow for euthanasia. So when they're debating assisted suicide in the legislature, you have to remind them, well, actually, if you look at the language of your bill, it technically would allow a doctor or somebody else to inject you with those drugs rather than you taking it yourself. Now, who, who makes that decision that somebody who maybe uh, uh, can't understand what's going on, uh, they're in a nursing home and they're barely able to speak themselves, uh, that they should be euthanized? Okay, so you have this situation. All the laws, even though it's sold, these ideas are sold to people based on this concept of, of it's my choice, it's my freedom, my autonomy. That's how they're sold. They're actually, all these laws require the physician. Now, in Canada, it's also nurse practitioners. So it's physicians and nurse practitioners in Canada. But in the U.S., all these laws require the physician to approve. So what happens, somebody who is feeling hopeless, 
who's going through a difficult situation, who has come to the feeling that there's no purpose left in their life, somebody is asking to have their life ended by lethal drugs. So when I say that, it's very important that we look at this in a reality. It's normal for a human being at times to lose hope. It's normal for a human being at times to maybe come to this time where they're feeling hopeless because of their situation, their emotional de- demeanor, going through this difficult time in their life. This is a normal reality for many people. This is not abnormal. The difference is if you've legalized assisted suicide, the doctor can then agree, yes, your life is not worth living. I will prescribe lethal drugs for you. So it's the physicians who do this. They're the ones who are agreeing to it. They're the ones prescribing. So when they say this is about my body, my choice, well, no, this is about somebody in the medical field uh, abandoning you to lethal drugs. That's what it's about. Now, in the case of euthanasia, the doctor would actually then go and lethally inject you. So it's the one step further. Now, someone has to be able to request it. So uh, technically, it's only for people who are competent. Now, in my own country of Canada, there is a bill to expand our euthanasia law. So we have euthanasia in Canada, which is lethal injection. And that bill is obviously also stuck, thank God, <laughs> because of the sad, horrific coronavirus crisis. Parliament is not sitting. So therefore, this Bill C-7 in Canada, which would allow doctors to lethally inject someone who previously requested it, but who's now incompetent. So that's the next step that they're, that they're pushing to allow in Canada, which is somebody had requested it, and now they're incompetent. So let's say they, uh, they had now of Alzheimer's, or let's say they had a, a massive stroke, but they had already requested it. They could then go ahead and do it to that person. So that would be someone who's incompetent. Now, you hear the data out of the, out of the Netherlands and Belgium. There are there's serious data showing out of the Netherlands and Belgium that there's a certain percentage of deaths that occur every year uh, that are lethal injections where someone has become incompetent and could, could not uh, anymore request it. Now, what is the role of a legal surrogate, then, a, a guardian or next of kin? In a lot of these areas, are they able to yeah. make the decision? I know uh, typically uh, a surrogate, a legal surrogate for somebody, when they make a decision, uh, the law looks at it as that's the wards or the other person's decision right. by allowing his surrogate to do that. Well, um, as of this moment, none of the laws allow a legal surrogate or a power of attorney for health care, if that's how, you know, there's different words in different right. states, right? Uh, but nonetheless, the idea is somebody else making the decision for you. So even if you've appointed someone to make medical decisions for you, none of the states, uh, none of the countries allows somebody else to decide for you when that time comes. That's how it's currently worded. Um, we have a serious question here because the, uh, the assisted suicide lobby wants to redefine uh, killing someone by lethal drugs as health care. They want it to be normalized. Just like abortion. Um, just like abortion, mm-hmm. that's right. So, for instance, uh, one of the bills last year, one of the assisted suicide bills that was defeated, it was defeated, it defined assisted suicide as a form of palliative care. Now, the reason they were doing that is not because they were saying assisted suicide is akin to palliative care. What they were doing is they were trying to normalize assisted suicide and redefine it as health care. Because if you redefine it as health care, then, of course, then a legal surrogate could decide. Because legal surrogates are there to decide uh, medical treatment decisions for you when you're incapable of deciding for yourself, right? Right. So this is where they're pushing. Now, right now, I'm, I started a new big campaign because what happened is, is the assisted suicide lobby 
has used the coronavirus crisis to gain the right to assisted suicide by telehealth. Now, this is oh, ridiculous, actually, sake. if you think yes. this through. Assisted suicide by telehealth. This means that the physician would speak to someone over telehealth and approve them for assisted suicide and possibly prescribe the lethal drugs, never having met them, only met them over the telehealth. Now, you may say, oh, but we do lots of things by telehealth. Well, excuse me, you're talking about lethal drugs here. That's the first thing. But secondly, what if the person had a misdiagnosis? The physician doesn't even have to examine this person. They're only talking to them over telehealth. So if they've been told they have a medical condition which is terminal and there had been a misdiagnosis, the patient wouldn't know it's misdiagnosis. You, you, by, by law, you would think they would have to examine them before giving them lethal drugs. Uh, but this is the thing that's been happening. Uh, the recent uh, decision by the government to expand the use of telehealth, the assisted suicide lobby has jumped onto that and interpret that to include assisted suicide. Alex, did you start this whole conversation saying that assisted suicide is legal in nine states in the United States? That's correct, yes. Yeah, wow. and D.C. And D.C. And D.C. And how long has that been in place? Well, every year, sadly, there's been uh, uh, the assisted suicide lobby has won, like basically won. They have gained one state every year. So uh, last year... New Jersey fell, so that was very sad. Uh, California was a couple years ago. Hawaii, uh, Vermont, you know, Washington State and Oregon were the first two. And um, so what's happened is it's, it's been slowly expanding. And when you look at the data as to where the assisted suicide lobby has been effective, it's in those states where they have uh, a Democrat majority in the House and a Democrat majority in the Senate and a Democrat governor. That's where they've been successful. And so, uh, and the, sadly, after the, after the midterm election in uh, 2018, several states uh, had a big, I would just say, move towards the political left. And therefore, we lost a few states where we had, let's say, a, a, a governor who would refuse to approve such a thing, lose the election and things like that. Oh, I see. You know, for instance, in the past, just so you know, New Jersey was always a problem because they were... Um, they seemed to always, but they had a, they had Chris Christie as the governor who refused to approve assisted suicide. So therefore, after he lost, that, that state fell also. And this is what's been going on, yes. And can you also speak to the stories that I hear about the uh, so-called Medicare death boards where they're um, speeding the death of patients by encouraging palliative or hospice care under the guise of palliative or hospice care? Yeah, so first I want to make a clear moral distinction that a palliative care uh, is, is, is usually different than assisted suicide because assisted suicide is the intentional giving of lethal drugs for the purpose of causing death, right? Uh, whereas palliative care uh, can be abused or it can be done right. If it's done well, someone's receiving good pain and symptom management and not being overdosed. So, you know, we don't have a problem with good palliative care. We have a problem with the abuse of palliative care. And what you're identifying is a sad reality that in many places, palliative care is now becoming regularly abused, especially with the fact that you have this palliative care payment system, which almost creates incentive for people to be signed up for palliative care, even when they may not uh, otherwise qualify for it. Uh, nonetheless, what's going on a lot is this push to deny medical treatment to people and a push to put them on what you call a palliative care pathway 
or palliative care program. And, uh, and the problem with this is that, uh, obviously speaking, uh, some people who are nearing death and have significant pain and symptom issues need to have those things dealt with and need to be properly cared for and need to be comfortable. And other people who are not going through any pain or symptom problems uh, should not be, putting on, be put on this pathway, especially if the pathway includes the constant increase of drugs to the point where at some point they might actually die from it. Exactly. Sounds like a lot of what is going on uh, in the movement toward uh, euthanasia uh, is the use of um, language, I guess, that um, isn't exactly, um, doesn't exactly describe what it is that they want to do. Right. The the whole thing is the redefinition of language is going on. So right now, you have a situation where there's two things going on. The assisted suicide lobby has actually changed the language of the bills that they're promoting. So when you when you look at, for instance, the assisted suicide bill that was in Maine, as an example, or the one that was in, um, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. The language of the bill was changed compared to the previous language, for instance, the one that you see in the Oregon law, and it makes it, therefore, less precise. It's intentionally worded in such a way that if someone died by lethal injection... Well, in fact, that would be covered under the law because they were approved for assisted suicide. And so you may say, well, isn't that crazy that people aren't picking out? You see, language is deceptive if it's not defined, right? Right. But what they're also doing is they're trying to redefine the current assisted suicide laws. And they're trying to change the current assisted suicide laws to expand it. So the assisted suicide lobby was always trying to hold down the laws a bit because they were trying to convince Americans you've got nothing to worry about. If you look at the state of Oregon, they legalized assisted suicide. It came into place in 1998 in Oregon. And all those years, they never made changes, and they intentionally tried to control that law. And it was because they wanted other states to be then lulled into thinking there's nothing wrong with assisted suicide. It can be only for those few cases, and, you know, it can all be controlled properly. In fact, uh, now, of course, they recognize that they've won several states, whether I like it or not, and uh, the American public is uh, is in a fog on a lot of these issues. And when you're in a fog, it's easier now to expand it. Yeah. And that's what's going on. And, and on the other end of this uh, language uh, confusion is the cover-up on the actual causes of death in, in many of these places, where they don't report it as suicide or euthanasia. They report it as whatever they consider to be the underlying disease that the person Well, in fact, from. the laws require that. Mm-hmm. And this intentional cover-up as to this makes it very difficult because there's a couple of effects to that. First of all, this is an intentional lie, which is a serious problem. But also, if you consider our own uh, statistics and record-keeping, if you can consider this proposal, if you had, let's say, you were sadly given a diagnosis of whatever types of cancer, and you were told, oh, well, you know, most people tend to live two years with this condition, but you have this percentage chance of actually getting better well you would say well i'm going to take my chances we're going to try and get better that's but you bring in assisted suicide now what happens is people live a shorter period of time and they're more likely to die of the condition because a lot of people would say i don't want to go through with that i'm not interested in that i have a medical condition that's uh that if i do nothing about it it's going to be terminal therefore i qualify for assisted suicide they die by lethal drugs, and then it's on their death certificate. They died of this type of cancer. So 10 years from now, when you look at the data, they're not telling you you have two years to live. They'll be saying, oh, you, 
you know, there's a very high likelihood you're going to die in about, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> because, of course, all the data has shifted. Yeah. We have intentionally skewed the data by lying. Yeah. Wow. Unintended Un- consequence. Yeah. Unfortunately, Alex, we're going to have to leave it at that. We're pretty much out of time. But I do want to thank you for joining us today. Certainly appreciate that we could talk about this all day. I think we never resolve anything among ourselves, but we, it'd certainly be interesting and a good warning for people. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. And do thank have you a very, very happy birthday. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. God bless happy you, birthday. too. Alex Schattenberg, Executive Director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we'll be right back. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Doing what is challenging because it's right. That's Blackbird Investments. In 2013, Blackbird Investments was born from the inspiration of St. Kevin. When it comes to building real estate, they look for creative solutions by forming strategic alliances, creating energy-efficient buildings, and engaging with local craftsmen. At its core, Blackbird Investments believes in giving buildings a new life. BlackbirdInvest.com Blackbird Investments. Doing what is challenging because it's right. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear, for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com. Well, Gina, now you, everybody knows why we're on the air to bring this information to everybody. Um, two I interesting know. guests today, and a lot of this uh, news that we've been talking about here is pretty much ignored by the mainstream press. 
Well, my thoughts are that I'm hoping our listeners are paying attention, especially to the slippery slope um, that we're finding in hastening the end of life in many ways. We're going to talk more about that next week because we have Charles LaMadri, uh, president of the Freedom of Conscience Foundation, who's written an opinion about uh, uh, the possibility of medical uh, rationing in, in health care decisions. And that's, uh, that's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting visit with him next week. Well, and I really don't think that we can study it enough. Um, all of us will face it at some point, and information is power, I guess, and we need to know it. And, and the problem is that it's so much of this is driven by money, you know, the, the costs, um, n- not necessarily driven by the life or the care of the patient. It reminds me of the three words the judges used in Roe v. Wade. Uh, they made abortion legal, safe, and rare. And look what's happened. Yeah. Rarely is it safe. And rarely is it, is it rare. Yeah. Uh, two Scottish doctors have just published an analysis of the Canadian Medical Association's uh, look at uh, uh, medical dying in Canada. And they've come to the conclusion that assisted suicide and, of course, the resulting uh, euthanasia, too, saves money for the health care system. So um, this is where we're at. We're putting uh, uh, dollar figures on human life. Just like I suppose in the David Delighton case, they were putting dollars on human baby parts. Yeah, you know the um, David Delighton is an amazing young man. I, I I credit him for continuing to work to expose the truth, even through all of these. I want to call it an octopus of legal battles. He's um, having to face. He's definitely living the true life of a martyr. I have so much respect, and. The other point I want to make is that he, um, his trial, I, I know that uh, Thomas Brecca with the Thomas More Society, who's representing him, looks forward to a trial and looks forward to the presentation of the facts in public, but I, I can't help but believe they'll cover it as little as they did the Gosnell trial. Yeah, Gosnell was another uh, case where the media ignored what was going on. Of course, right. now is uh, people know what's happened, but... That was only because they stirred up some public attention for that case. Um, the Gosnell, when that first went to court, there were no no press there covering it. It was simply a courtroom with the parties in it, and that was that. Right. They were eventually shamed into covering it. But I, I want to encourage our listeners while they're sitting home and looking for good movies to watch. That is a, a heart-wrenching movie that brings some uh, facts to light. So it's the Gosnell movie. The Gosnell movie, yes. Very good, very good. A um, couple other things that came across my desk here the other day. Uh, I guess there is a uh, <laughs> a Florida pastor that was arrested this week because he had his, uh, uh, his church service <laughs> last Sunday um, and uh, and he violated whatever rule it was there for not having more than ten people in a room or whatever, and and he was arrested and put in jail. Right. Apparently he ba- bonded out, but uh, exactly. And Florida's gone into t- entire lockdown, a little bit stricter than they'd had. Um, but I noticed that they have exempted um, pl- houses of worship in that order. So as long as they're following the guidelines, they can conduct worship services in Florida. Yeah, and uh, of course that's where we've all been kind of hollowed out here and that we don't have the worship services. We have to go to them uh, on the internet or uh, or through something like that and it it makes it difficult. And so I hope I hope they work these things out. I'd hate to have to make those decisions on who can do what when and where. Uh, but um 
I, I guess m- my preference is to let the individual governors make those decisions because I think uh, there's a lot of pressure on the president to make this uniform across the country, but uh, not every place is like New York or Florida. There are a lot exactly. of places like Iowa where it's not quite... Uh, not, not yet, anyway. Day. Yeah. Keep our yeah. fingers crossed and pray, pray, pray. And pray, pray, pray. And speaking of prayer, let us close uh, with a prayer. Say, Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Well, that's all we have uh, for today. Hopefully we'll see you uh, next week uh, when we will have Dr. Ann Hendershot from the uh, Franciscan University talking about uh, uh, boys playing girls sports and then uh, the aforementioned Charles LaMadre uh, on uh, possible rationing of health care. For Gina Noll and myself, thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imaging Ingredients.